Well, welcome, Lipside Online Campuses. It's so good to be with you this morning. Thank you for inviting us into your home. Uh, I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited you've chosen to be with us. Uh, and I just need to say this uh, also. Uh, I know it's been said already. I want to want to reiterate it. I'm so proud of our staff, of our leaders in this church. We've been working overtime uh, to make sure that the resources we have available are still available to you online. Uh, so make sure you're checking out flipside.church uh, for resources throughout the week that will be a benefit to you, to your family. Um, I'm, I'm just super, super proud of our church, uh, super proud of our, our leaders. Though, uh, you know, our, our, everything else is kind of shut down. Our virtual doors are still open, uh, and we're excited to share, share this time with you. I, I do want to say thank you very much for your generosity. As Pastor Jeff mentioned, uh, there are a lot of conversations going on right now about the future, uh, the fact that it's unknown. We don't know how long we're going to be in these times, and oftentimes uh, we have the... Um, a response in, in fear and hesitation. Uh, so thank you for the, your generosity uh, up front. Um, we are responsible for a, a lot of ministry, not just in the ranchos, but in church plants all around the nation, as well as in countries like Mexico, Guatemala, and Cuba. Uh, and uh, we have committed to be generous to them, and we're going to continue in that generosity. Uh, as best we can. We're having those conversations that are tough conversations to have, but we want to make sure that we're positioned coming out of this uh, in, in a position of strength and viability, not just for ourselves, but for those that we're responsible for. I, I'll tell you this much. I know for us in America, we've taken the lead as far as the coronavirus cases, the number of cases. We're, we're leading the world uh, in that. Uh, for many of us, it's a terrible inconvenience. For some, it's perilous and dangerous. But I'm going to tell you this much right now. From what I know of our ministries in Mexico, in Cuba, and in Guatemala, uh, they've never been about the convenience. And so in this time for those people, it's more than an inconvenience. I guarantee you, i got a lot of people that would love to trade places with you right now. Uh, and so we're going to be very faithful to our commitment to continue ministering to people. We say all the time, you don't give to us, you give through us. And so as Pastor Jeff said, go to that app, go to the website. Whatever generosity you choose to, uh, to share is greatly appreciated. And we will, we will manage it very well. Now let me say this. I started this series called uh, The Wrong Jesus. Not that there's anything wrong with Jesus. And the Jesus of the Bible, there ain't nothing wrong with him. But oftentimes we, we understand, we misunderstand things about Jesus. And because we misunderstand, misunderstand things about Jesus, we end up following in a wrong way. Our expectations about him are wrong. So that when we expect him to do something, we've had wrong expectations of him. It doesn't pan out like we thought and we're very discouraged. And so let me ask you this question. And I already know the answer right up front. But let me just ask you this silly question anyway. Has anything ever gone wrong in life? I know the answer. The answer, well, of course it has, and, and especially right now, but I'm talking about, I'm talking, has anything ever gone so wrong in life that you thought, well, Jesus, if you would have, things would be different. Have they ever gone so wrong you thought, well, God, had you done, things would have been better. If I could title this message anything, I would title it, Jesus, if you would have, things would have been different. Here's what I know. 
God is attracted to capacity. What I mean by that is this. Whatever God forms, God fills. God formed the the fields and he filled it with beasts. God formed the oceans and he filled it with fish. God formed the skies and he filled it with birds. God formed people with a capacity to be filled. Now here's the thing. The only people God can fill are those with a capacity. If, if there's not an emptiness at some level, there's nothing to fill. The problem with capacity is that, now understand this, the capacity oftentimes masquerades itself as need. And so if you have a need, you're in a great position to look very attractive to God because there's capacity. Now let me explain the correlation between miracle and capacity. There are some miracles that are miracles of necessity. They're miracles of, 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 of crisis. Like the woman with the issue of blood. Lazarus being raised from the grave. That, that's what we're going to look at today. There are some miracles that are miracles of crisis, but there are other miracles that are miracles of convenience, like turning water to wine. That wouldn't be a bad miracle right now if we could work that one, right? Especially if so many parents are homeschooling. They're like, <laughs> I need some more. <laughs> but there's also uh, miracles of convenience, like, like the, the loaves and the, and the fish. We looked at that last week. It's just a convenient miracle. But here's the thing. Whether they're miracles of crisis or miracles of convenience, every Miracle is the result of capacity, of need. All miracles are the result of capacity and need. See, there's got to be the capacity of a miracle, and there's got to be capacity to receive a miracle. The capacity of need and the capacity to receive. And when you have a need and the capacity to receive, you've got the seedbed of a possible miracle. So the, the, the scripture I'm going to look at this morning is found in John chapter 11. And so if you have a Bible and brought one, you know, to this moment, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 11. Now, all the verses we're going to look at are on the app as well. So make sure you've downloaded that and follow along. John chapter 11. I love this. You don't realize what you're in for today. because This is a fantastic revelation of who real Jesus is. And I want to share. I'm so excited about it. So John chapter 11 says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, uh, whose brother Lazarus lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters, having their brother Lazarus who was sick, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, no. It's for God's glory that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary and Lazarus. Now, this makes sense at this point. Jesus has this great relationship with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Matter of fact, Lazarus' name means the one God helps. So Lazarus is sick. Everybody can see where this sickness is headed. It's not getting better. They know the end result of it. And so they sent to the one that they love, Jesus, to get help for the one that God helps, Lazarus. And Martha says, go tell Jesus now that Lazarus is sick, that Lazarus, the one he loves, is sick. It's almost like Martha has to remind Jesus of how he feels about Lazarus. As if Jesus forgot, oh yeah, Lazarus, I like that guy. Thanks for reminding me. He didn't forget who Lazarus was. 
He didn't forget about the knee, how he felt about him. But have you ever had those moments when you feel like you need to remind God? Where you feel like you need to remind, unless you forgot Jesus, I just want to remind you. And so, but it makes sense that they would go to the one who could help for the help that they need and expect help from him. So this all makes sense, the first five verses. But then it turns. Verse 6, now it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Watch this. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Mar He loved this family. Matter of fact, when he was traveling through the area, he would often stop and have meals together. They would hang together. And now he accepted their hospitality, but he wouldn't meet their need. He knew he was sick and he stayed two more days. That doesn't make sense. The Bible says he loved them, so he stayed away. I mean, if you think about it, this makes no sense. What he loved them, so he didn't go to them when they needed him. That doesn't sound like love. Now, we think the real Jesus would have gone right away and the wrong Jesus would have stayed away, but this is different. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus heard Lazarus was sick. It doesn't say that when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he wanted to go, but he had to stay. It doesn't say that. We would understand if the Bible said Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, but he had to stay. He was prevented from going. We would understand that. That would make sense. But what the Bible says is Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, so he stayed. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. Have you ever been confused by God? Have you ever been confused by Jesus? One of the first verses I memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. My parents did a fantastic job at helping us memorize Bible verses. And what they would do is they would put a, a Bible verse on a little 3 by 5 card and, and, and write it on there and put it on the refrigerator. And then they'd put a candy bar on top of the refrigerator and say, when we memorize the Bible verse, we get the candy bar. Now, I will do nearly anything for a baby Ruth or a Butterfinger, especially back in the day. I love the, And so they put Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on the refrigerator and a candy bar up on top. And so I had a great motivation to memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart even when he doesn't make sense. See, here's what I know, and, and I want you to pay attention to this. We equate love with comfort and safety. God equates love with trust. Let that sink in. We equate love with comfort and safety. If God loves me, he's going to keep me safe. If God loves me, he's going to watch out for me. God equates love with trust. See, here's our problem. We assume God wants from us what we want from Him, right? Like we assume God wants from us what we want from Him. We want comfort and safety. We want, God wants us to trust Him. Now the problem with God wanting us to trust Him is the only, how do you prove trust? The only way, get this, the only way you prove trust is by being in positions of danger, of peril, of worry, of fright, of fear. It's the only way you prove trust. And if God wants us to trust him, if that's love to God, what does that mean for us? That we've got to go through moments of danger, of fear, of trepidation, right? Through the valley of the shadow of death. See, oftentimes we forget who's responsible for what. It's God's responsibility for the product and the outcome. It's our responsibility for the process and our orientation. 
Understand that. And the longer we believe that we alone are responsible for the outcome, the more frustrated we'll be by faith. See, faith is not the way we control the outcome. We misunderstand that a lot. We think that, that, that if I pray a certain way, if I behave a certain way, if I don't do the bad things and I do do the good things, that God can, is going to respond to us and give us the outcome we desire. And this is why religion never works. Because religion is the process by which we try to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. Please be careful not to use religion to try to manipulate God's hand. So this is why I love John chapter 11, because everybody has John chapter 11s in their life. Every one of us. And this is what's significant about chapter 11s. Chapter 11s of life destroy the religious formula that we once believed. Chapter 11s of life destroy the religious formula that we once believed. In the chapter 11s of life, we realize and we learn that we cannot manipulate God's hand according to our schedule. See, God never moves simply because we're inconvenienced, though we want him to. God doesn't move because we're inconvenienced. See, faith is trusting in the midst of the mystery. Please understand that. Faith is trusting in the midst of the mystery when you don't know what's going on and you don't know for how long. And that's the time we're in right now. That's the time we're in right now. See, they needed Jesus, but he didn't show up when they asked. That's hard. I guess in today's language, we would say Jesus left them on red. They, they, they knew he got the message. But they knew he wasn't responding. And here's what happened. When you're left on red by God, little church cliches don't bring any comfort when you're left on red by God it feels that way you can say all you want we can say all we want the little church cliches well I know that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills well that's great why don't he give me one because my name's on the mortgage not Jesus's right like these these chapter 11s they start stripping away all this religious stuff that we once believed see Faith is trusted in the mystery of knowing the promises of God and trust in him even when those promises haven't been realized in your life. Faith is trusted in the mystery of seeing God do for someone else what he's not yet done for you. Trusting in the mystery. See, our problem is that we try to prove God's love by circumstantial evidence. And it never works that way. So back to this account, John chapter 11. I want to go back to verse 4. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. That means Lazarus isn't going to die, right? It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus said, Lazarus isn't going to die. But if you know the story, what happened? What happened? Lazarus died. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus, you said it wasn't going to die. Here's what Jesus meant. Jesus meant this, though he, though he died in the moment, the moment wasn't the ending. That's what he meant. Like whenever you experience an ending, the end you experience isn't the ending. You realize that? 
Whenever you experience an ending, the end that you experience may not be the real ending. God's got a greater work in the works. God's got something different in mind. He might let things die in a moment, but it doesn't mean it stays dead. So don't put a period where God's still writing the sentence. That's our problem. We experience something in chapter 11's life. We put a period where God's still writing a story. Trust him to keep writing the story. This account goes on. It gets really interesting here. Then Jesus said to his disciples, so he's with all his guys, let's go back to Judea. So they say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back to where they wanted to kill you? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Jesus answered, aren't there 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell him. He said, look, plainly, here's the thing. Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Have you ever misunderstood what Jesus has said? His disciples did. They said, well, if he's asleep, he's going to get better. You don't got to go wake him up. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples didn't. His disciples thought he was talking about natural sleep. So then Jesus told him plainly, look, Lazarus is dead, knucklehead. That's what I'm talking about. He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. And then Thomas, not knowing what to say, he just blurts out, well, if he died and you're going to go help him, let's die with him. It just, it's like, you're like, what are you talking about? See, his disciples missed it, just like we do. His disciples got confused. They said, Jesus, we were just in that area, and in that area they wanted to kill you. Now you want to go back to there? I don't think you realize. And Jesus said, no, no, relax. I'm not going to leave this earth till I've completed the mission God gave me to do. And I refuse to live by fear and trepidation. Relax. That might be what he wants to say to some of us today. Relax. And then they said, yeah, but, but if Lazarus is simply asleep, he's going to wake up. He doesn't need you to go. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. You, he died, and I'm glad he died because at, to this point, he tells them, you don't know who I am and you don't know what I am. He says, to this point, you've got a wrong Jesus in mind. Verse 17 says, now Jesus, on his arrival, found that Lazarus has already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, here's why this is significant. See, we think the wrong Jesus is the late Jesus. We, we think the wrong Jesus is the late Jesus. But Now, here, here's, 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 here's why this is so important. When it says that, that Jesus got there and Lazarus had been in the tomb four days, there was a superstitious belief amongst the people that the spirit of a person could still return to a person within the first three days. And so Jesus shows up not on the first day, the second day, the third day. Jesus shows up on the fourth day. See, Jesus wasn't late. Jesus was purposeful. He knew what he was doing. That's why he waited two more days. So he would purposefully show up on the fourth day. Here's why. Jesus often waits past our timetable has expired before he reveals his glory. That's why chapter 11 is so important for us. Jesus often waits past our timetable to reveal his glory. He wasn't late. 
is purposeful. The story goes on. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. This, this was not a great distance to travel. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in loss of their brother. Lord, Martha says. Lord. She says to Jesus, if you had been here, right? Because that's what we say in times of crisis. If, if you would just show up, things would be different. That's what she said. If you had just been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. See, Jesus could have gotten there sooner. It was maybe an hour or two walk. Let me tell you one of the hardest things about faith. And if you're going to choose to follow Jesus, here's something you, you, you've got to wrestle with and come to terms with. The toughest part of faith is this. To know that Jesus could have, but he did it. Right? See, faith tells us God can do anything. Jesus can do anything. The Bible says that with man, things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. And the hardest thing about faith is to know Jesus could have, but he didn't. And Martha finally says out loud what we all think in our head when we're in moments of crisis. Jesus, had you been here, things would have been different. Had you been here, it would have been better. That's how we all feel in a crisis. Now notice what Martha does. She starts with an accusation. Jesus, had you been here, that would have been different. But very quickly, she moved to an affirmation. But even now I know that God will. See, her faith kicks in. Our problem is when we stop at the accusation. Our problem is when we stop at the accusation. God, had you shown up, it'd be, Jesus, if you would have chosen, it'd be, Jesus, would you just... And we stop at the accusation. Martha moved to a statement of affirmation, but even now I know, as bad as this is, even now I know that God will. Verses 23 through 26. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, no, I know he will. I believe in the resurrection. On the last day, Jesus said, no, no, Martha, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says, no, I am the resurrection right now. I am life right now. See, we misunderstand uh, the, the difference between heaven and eternal life. Heaven is a destination. Eternal life is right now. We will have eternal life in heaven. But we don't have to wait for heaven for eternal life. Eternal life means eternal. No beginning and no end. When we join our lives to Jesus in faith, we gain access to eternal life right now. See, my fear and concern is that many people who are following Jesus are following without the understanding of the eternal life that they possess right now. Just as I am, not I will be, I am. And he says, do you believe this about me? See, we think that we'll believe it when we see it. Jesus says, no, no, you will see it once you believe it. I love how this story plays out when Mary, Martha's sister reached the place where Jesus was and saw him she fell at his feet and said Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died where do we hear that already in what Martha said right Mary says the same thing Martha says if you would have been here my brother wouldn't have died 
She says the exact same thing. Note this. You know why she says the exact same thing? Because they're just repeating what they've heard from each other. They're just, this is what they've said to each other. So they just repeat it. Be careful what you say to each other. Because what you say is oftentimes contagious. Understand this, that faith and fear are both contagious. Confidence and doubt are both contagious. Uncertainty and surety are both contagious. Note the difference between what Martha said and Mary said. They both said, Jesus, had you been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Had you been here. But Mary stopped with the accusation and never got to a statement of affirmation. She never pressed it and said, but even now I know. So Jesus saw them weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in trouble. You see, all these people gathered around. And the people were doing what they could do for Mary and Martha. They were doing what they could do, but all they could do was cry. Now, sympathy and empathy are powerful things. And the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So they're doing what they could do. But all they can do is join in them with them in the grief. Don't you know that sometimes we need more than what others can do for us? We need what only the grace of God can do for us. Sometimes we need something more. And the chapter 11s of life reveal to us what only man can do and the need for what God can do. Some of them said, couldn't this guy who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this other man from dying? Everybody had an accusation. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, I don't think you understand what happens when someone dies. She's kind of educating Jesus on the human condition. It's so kind of her. By this time, there's a bad odor. Because he's been in there for four days. Don't you know that everybody around the situation that you're in has an opinion about you and your situation? Even though the people around them had no experience with Jesus personally, and even though they had nothing invested directly in the situation, boy, they had an opinion about it. This is the way it always is. Everybody on the sidelines of your life has an opinion about your life. Everybody on the sidelines of your faith has an opinion about your God. Everybody in the stands behind the coaches have an opinion about the coaches. That's just the way. And I just want to tell you, don't pay attention to the opinion of the bystanders. Don't pay attention to the voices on the sidelines. When has the opinionated crowd ever tended towards the positive? Jesus didn't pay attention to the opinions of those watching. Realize this. Everything Martha said was true. Everything she said was true. Had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. True. He's been in that tomb four days. True. He's going to stink. True. Everything she said was true. But did you notice? Jesus never asked her for the facts. He didn't say, Martha, I'm thinking about opening up the tomb. How do you think it's going to smell? He didn't ask her about the facts. Martha, I know I'm here on day four, and usually you thought by day three something would happen, and it didn't. What do you think? Should I should move? He didn't ask her about the facts. Here's what I want us to understand. That when Jesus says, move the stone, that is our opportunity 
to move against the natural because something significant is about to happen. Anytime God says to us, move the stone, that's our chance to move against the natural because something significant is about to pop out. Move the stone. I don't know what stone it is in your life that's keeping dead things dead. But I feel like God wants to tell some of you, man, it is time to move the stone. Because some significance is about to pop out. Verse 40. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you, what, believe, you will, what, see the glory of God? Very similar to what he said in verse 26. If you believe, you will see God's glory. See, here's the thing with faith. You have, faith has to have feet or it's ineffective. James, in the book of James says, without Without action, faith is dead. Our faith has to have feet. So they took the stone away and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I'm saying this out loud for their benefit is what he says. So that they can believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Could you manage to say, hey, come on out of the grave. All, everybody would have walked out. <laughs> so we had to be specific. Lazarus, I'm talking to you. Come out. And the dead man came out with his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take all the people around him. He said, take this grave clothes off him. Let him go. I love the fact that Jesus is so certain and tells us with certainty that God hears me. Now, the fact is that God hears all, everybody who prays, God hears. But, but this is a conversation between the Son and the Father, and God is paying attention. I love that. That's such good news because the Bible says that Jesus is our advocate. Here's what's happening right now. The one that God hears and listens to is advocating for you right now. Right now. And he calls Lazarus by name. Come out. Get up. God might be calling you right now. He's calling you by name. It's time to get out of the grave you're living in. It's time. You know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with both ends knocked out. And he's calling some of you right now, get out of the rut that you're in. Get out of the grave that you're living in. The stone will be rolled away. Get out of the chains. Get out of the grave cloth you're living in. I love the fact that he tells the people around him, take the grave clothes off him because don't you know that there's some bondage on our lives that we can't get ourselves free from? We need God to move and do what God can do and then God brings his people on to do what his people can do. See, the real Jesus employs his followers to do the work that he's initiated. We get a play in it. And we see the fullness of God's glory when we join him in what he's doing and he's saying to some of us, come out. Join me in what I'm doing. Jesus, I really believe that Jesus wants to say this to some of us today. Listen, I've not been late in your life. I'm purposeful. And I've waited long enough for you to realize that you cannot resurrect yourself and you cannot free yourself. He wants to say that, do you hear me calling your name? It's time to come out. And I've waited long enough for you to realize you can't do it on your own. See, when we hear that Jesus heard Lazarus was sick and he waited, it seems so cruel to us that he would delay. But had Jesus gone and healed Lazarus when they asked him to, they would have never known the resurrection. Here's what we have to understand. I know we're getting ready to come up on Easter in a couple weeks. And we got something super uh, special planned for Easter. 
But we're coming up on Easter. Here's what we have to know going into Easter. That the resurrection is a person. It's not just an event. It's just not an event when little bunnies lay eggs that we hunt for. It's not an event. It's a person. His name is Jesus. See, you might be in a delay in life right now. And I'm not talking about the virus. The whole world's in a delay right now. I get that. But your delay might have started well before the virus ever struck. And if you're in a delay, understand that God might be staging a miracle to reveal not just a blessing for you, but to reveal who he really is, the real Jesus. So you quit following the wrong one. But know this, that sometimes resurrection dresses like death. But it doesn't end there. Sometimes God allows those crises, God allows the need, God allows the, t- the space for capacity to create space for a, revel- uh, a revelation and a resurrection. He let Lazarus die so that there would be the opportunity to experience a resurrection. See, everybody had already knew him as healer, but they hadn't known him as resurrection yet. Here's what I know. Sometimes, and this always happens in chapter 11 of life, when we ask for a reason, God gives us a revelation. When we ask for a reason, we ask for a why, we ask for answers, God says, listen, I need you to know who I am. I am still your provider. I am still your healer. I am still your shepherd. I am still with you. I want to give you a revelation, not just a reason. See, here's why. Because Jesus knows if he gives us a reason, what will we do? We'll argue with them about it. But if he gives us a revelation, that changes us. See, when Lazarus died, Jesus said, now I've got a situation to give you a revelation of something greater than a healer. See, we have to learn that every situation that we're in need creates an opportunity for a revelation. Of who Jesus is. Now, let, me, let me wrap this up. Come on up here, guys. Here's the thing. What would make one continue in faith when they're in the place of a death? Think about it. What would make one continue trusting when they're at the place of an ending? It's only when one can rely on the grace of God, regardless of the situation they're in, the process they're in. So here's the big question. And this is something we all have to wrestle with. Do you trust God enough to trust him during the times he doesn't show up? Do you trust God enough to trust him during the times he doesn't show up? The fact is we cannot manipulate God's hand by our religious behavior. It doesn't work. So in those times he doesn't show up, when we've asked him to, when we've pleaded with him and he doesn't show up, do we still trust him? Do you still trust his grace? That he's working all things together for good. For his glory and our blessing. See, God's grace is what prompts the expression of God's power. So, in this moment of whatever that need is in your life, reframe it and see it as capacity. Because when you see it as need, you'll see what you lack. When you see this capacity, you'll see it as God being able to fill it. And realize that you cannot resurrect yourself. You can't do it. 
Now, it may be true that Jesus, had you been here, things would have been different. That God, if you choose to show, if you chose to show up, it would have been better. That may all be true, but don't stop with those facts. Press on to the affirmation that even now, God, I know, I know that I know that I know. See, because there's more that Jesus wants to show us. He wants to give us a revelation of who he is, not just what he can do. So I invite you to say, even in your heart right now, God, I've got a need that you see as capacity. And I realize that because you see my need as capacity, you are attracted to me and this thing I'm in right now. And I trust you in the midst of all that's going on. And I trust you in the midst of all my need. And I invite you to roll away the stone that I can be free. I'd invite you just to reiterate what you already know about God, that he has called you by your name into life. And when Jesus shows up, he changes everything. When Jesus shows up, he changes everything. And you have the great, we have the great opportunity right now to say, Jesus, I trust you. And I invite you into my life. Roll away the stone and change everything. And in the moment of my need and in the moment of capacity, I will wait till you choose to show me who you are. And you got a great opportunity for you right now. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that you're never late. And I thank you that you are always purposeful. And I thank you that we can trust you even in the midst of need that you see as capacity. So we invite you in this moment. The stones that are in front of us, the stones that are prohibiting us from coming alive, would you roll those away? And would you call us out? We are convinced that the needs we have before us are greater than our ability to resurrect ourselves. You are the resurrection. You are the life. Here's your turn right now. Say in your own heart, Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you are the resurrection and that you are the life. I'm choosing today to trust you in the midst of my need to fill my capacity. Call me forth. I invite you into my life. Because I know that when you come in, you will change everything. And I give you permission to do that. Come into my life and change everything. Jesus, I thank you that you've heard us. I thank you that you're with us. Help us to trust you. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, well, uh, as we take some time to kind of reflect on that, let's uh, share in some time of worship together again. Yeah. 